Friends, that was a covenant renewal ceremony. Joshua 24, which we just read together, which we just kind of entered into the story and participated in, that was a covenant renewal ceremony. That shows us what it looks like, because that's what we're talking about today. You know, but before we start talking about this idea that we're going to be exploring today of renewing a covenant, we should probably back up a little bit and start with the idea of what is a covenant. What is a covenant? I mean, covenant's not a word that we use often today, is it? Really, the only time that you might hear this word used are probably in a building like this. Because we talk about wedding covenants, that's fairly familiar to us, and many of us have entered into a wedding covenant. And we also might hear about covenants when we gather in a building like this because we might hear about the old covenant and the new covenant. Or, like we're going to talk about today, the idea of a church covenant. So since this idea of covenant is not one that we're commonly using in our everyday life, let's start by defining the word. You know, one Bible dictionary that I referred to defined covenant as an oath-bound promise whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. A, a, a promise to bless or serve another party in a specified way. So at its core, what do we find? A covenant is a solemn relationship-defining promise. A covenant creates a relationship. Covenants create relationship. Think about it. That's what a marriage covenant does, doesn't it? A marriage covenant, a couple stands before the people and stands before God and they make promises to one another. They commit to another person. They commit to bless and to serve another person. They commit to grow the relationship that they have together. And they commit to let that relationship grow and form them. So covenants, Define and create relationships. Covenants that we enter into, they make us the persons that we are. Covenants form our identity, and they form the identity of our relationship. So this concept of covenant is central to the entire Bible. In fact, we find that the Bible is divided into the Old and the New Testament, is often how we refer to them, but Testament, friends, is just another word for covenant. So the very Bible that we read is divided, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because covenant, this idea of covenants, promises that define relationships and that bring together, is at the very heart of the Scripture. Because it's at the very heart of God's relationship with His people. This idea of covenant. God has established and defined His relationship with His people by covenant. If we went into the Old Testament, we'd see at Exodus 19, Israel arrived at Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 20, we hear God give the people the heart of the covenant, which is the Ten Commandments. And then Exodus 21 through 23, various other laws or instructions are given. And finally, in Exodus 24, we witness the covenant confirmed through Moses. God has defined and established His relationship with His people by a covenant. Covenants define and make, create relationships. And although this covenant that God made with His people through Moses at Mount Sinai is one covenant, we then find it repeated throughout the entire Old Testament Scripture. The entire book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book that you have in your Bible, 
is really a second record of this covenant. In fact, the word Deuteronomy literally means a repeat of the law. Just in case you forgot, it just happened in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, but here in the fifth book, we're going to repeat it. I don't want you to forget this. Really, Deuteronomy is a collection of sermons that Moses gave to the people as they stood outside the promised land, the land that God promised to bring them into, and he preaches a whole series of sermons and goes, remember the covenant, and that's what the the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, is. It is really a giant covenant renewal ceremony. He commands the people, hear the words, commit again to this covenant that God's made. Because God established and defined his relationship with his people by covenant. And as such, throughout the whole Old Testament, the covenant, the Mosaic covenant made through Moses is regularly repeated, regularly referenced, regularly remembered, and regularly recommitted to. Uh, It was so important that at strategic times in Israel's history, God's people entered into this time of covenant renewal, just like we read this morning. You see, for Joshua in Joshua 24, which is what we just read today, God had just led the people into the promised land, the land that he said, I'm going to give it to you. He'd brought them in there. He'd driven out the people ahead of them. He'd assigned them portions of land. They they were settling into the land. And at this critical juncture in their history, so where to now? What's going to happen now? God's fulfilled his promises. He brought us into the land that he took us out of Egypt, led us through the wilderness, brought us where he said he was going to bring us. He's driven out the people. He settled us in the land. What now? This was a strategic point in the history of Israel. And so what does God lead them to do? He leads Joshua as a great leader of the people to lead the people in a covenant renewal. And friends, we find two important things in all these covenant renewals. The call to remember and the call to recommit. Remember, recommit, renew. Remember, recommit, and renew. You heard me read a history lesson. I decided I'd read that today so nobody had to read all of those names. Hittites, Amorites, Girgashites. Didn't want to give that to anybody else. But it was a history lesson. You heard the history. God said, hey, listen, I chose Abraham. I took Abraham. Abraham had kids. Those kids ended up in Egypt. I delivered them from Egypt. I promised them a land. Led them through the wilderness. Drove out the inhabitants. Settled them in the land. Here you are. Gave him a history lesson. He said, remember. And if you reread that on your own, you'll notice the primary actor in the entire history is God. I gave. I drove out. I delivered. I sent. God says, remember what I have done. Remember my grace to you. Remember. Remember. And then... Joshua famously called the people to recommit. That famous statement, verse 15, choose this day who you'll serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, remember and recommit yourself. Remember what God has done. Remember how He's loved you. Remember the grace that He's freely shown you. He didn't have to do any of it. 
He didn't do it because you deserved it or because you were good or because you were better than any of the other people. In His love, He put His love upon you. He delivered you. He rescued you. Remember, 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 and recommit yourself to Him and to the relationship that He has made possible. Remember and recommit. Now, we sometimes do this in our covenants today. Maybe you've been to a, a, a vow renewal ceremony for a married couple. Sometimes after many, many years of marriage, when you reach a, um, when you reach a strategic or a, a big number, a 40, 50 years, a couple will choose to renew their vows. They'll choose to come before a group of their friends and come again before God and they'll renew. So what are they doing? Well, friends, they're remembering and they're recommitting. They remember the promises that they made so many years ago, those promises that have sustained them. And they renew their vows. It doesn't mean that their vows expired or were invalidated. Uh, It doesn't mean in the ceremony that they create something new because it's already there. They're remembering and they're recommitting to what is there. And in the same way, that's what the renewal in Joshua 24 is. It's not that the covenant had somehow been invalidated or expired and it needed to be re-upped. It wasn't that they created something new with what they did. It was remembering and recommitting to what was already there. And Joshua 24, which we just read together, is not the only time we see that in the life of God's people. In 1 Samuel 12, the prophet Samuel led the people in covenant renewal, remembering and recommitting to the Lord. In 1 Kings 18, we see the prophet Elijah confront the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And when we read that account, it reads just like a covenant renewal ceremony where Elijah is calling the people, remember God, remember who He is, remember what He's done, and recommit to Him. Who are you going to serve, Baal? Or are you going to serve the Lord? Many of the kings in the monarchy and the history of Judah and Israel led the people in a renewal of the covenant. In 2 Kings 11, the priest Jehoiada and the king Joash led the people to renew their covenant. In 1 Chronicles 29.30, the king Hezekiah led the people to remember, recommit, and renew their covenant before the Lord. And according to 2 Chronicles 34, King Josiah This guy started to seek the Lord at age 8. And at age 12, he began to cleanse the land of other gods. And at age 18, the book of the law was discovered. And it led him to cleanse the land even more and celebrate the Passover for the first time in a long time. And it said it was the greatest celebration of the Passover, which was a celebration of the Lord's covenant, that had happened in the land since the time of the prophet Samuel. Many of the kings of Judah led the people over and over again to remember and to recommit to renew the covenant. And when because of their disobedience, God's people were delivered into exile, into Babylon, for 70 years, God remained faithful. And He brought them back into the land. And when they returned to the land, led by the leader Nehemiah and by the priest Ezra, God used them to lead the people in another covenant renewal. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we hear a recounting of the history of Israel as the people remember, 
what God has done. And then the end of chapter 9 into verse 10, we see the people recommit themselves. Again, remember, recommit and renew. Because the covenant is the heart of God's relationship with this people. Therefore, that covenant needs to regularly be remembered, recommitted to, and renewed. Not because the covenant expires or is invalidated. Not because it creates in doing that ceremony something new. Renewal ceremonies, which we witness throughout Israel's history, simply encourage the people to remember and to recommit to what God has made possible. Now, church, this idea of covenant renewal is really not as as foreign to us as we might think. Because we here at Chestnut Street Baptist, we participate together in a covenant renewal ceremony at least once a month. A ceremony where we remember, we recommit, and we renew. It's a ceremony not because God's covenant to us has expired or been invalidated or we're creating something new. It's a ceremony of remembrance, of recommittal, and of renewal. It's a ceremony that we call the Lord's Supper. You see, Jesus, before he went to the cross, before he shed his blood in our place, before he rose victorious over the third day over sin and death and hell and offered us new life, his life, he had a supper with his disciples. It was the Passover supper. But he took that Passover supper and he repurposed it. And the Apostle Paul explains to us exactly what this supper means in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you you hear the things we've been talking about? Remembering, recommitting, proclaiming, renewing. Again, celebrated regularly not because the covenant's expired or been invalidated, but as a regular opportunity, friends, to remember to recommit and to renew again that relationship. And Chestnut Street family, against this background of covenant and covenant renewal, in our gathering this morning, we're going to not just remember, recommit, and renew our covenant with the Lord as we celebrate together the Lord's Supper at the very end of the service. We also have gathered here today to remember, recommit, and renew our covenant with one another as a church family. As we've been discussing the last few months, we as a church family have a covenant, have promises with one another. Promises that we make to one another, and those promises define and they make us. And again, some ask, well, why do we or any church, for that matter, have a covenant at all? Because, friends, the covenant defines who our church is. It defines us. As I mentioned briefly last week, historically in the 1600s, as the early Baptists and Congregationalists were establishing new churches that weren't affiliated with existing denominations, they asked the question, what makes a group of people a church? What makes a group of people a church? And their answer was a covenant. 
And in 1649, Puritan ministers Richard Marr and John Cotton wrote that church cannot be established merely on a bare profession of faith, attendance in services, or baptism. Now, friends, those type of things might make you or indicate that you're part of Christ's universal church. But the question is, what makes a person a part of a particular church? Of a specific church, of a local expression of Christ's universal church? What establishes the visible union of believers into a church is the promise, the covenant, to be a church together. The covenant establishes and defines relationships. And friends, more than that, the covenant defines not only the relationship itself, but who is part of that relationship. Who is part of that relationship? Here's why church membership and church covenants are important. One of the reasons. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. So Christians are commanded to obey and submit to leaders. And friends, the question is exactly which leaders? All Christian leaders? Because that's not just difficult, that's impossible. A quick search will show you there are at least six churches here in Camden. Are you obligated to submit to and obey all the Christian leaders represented from those churches? How about all the Christian leaders that we see now on TV, YouTube, who write books, who speak at conferences? Are you obligated to submit to and obey all of those Christian leaders? I mean, it's going to get a little bit ridiculous soon because at times they're going to give you very conflicting guidance. And so in obedience to this passage, the question is, friends, to whom are you and I ultimately obligated to submit and obey? Because it's impossible. It's impossible to be obedient to this passage without a covenant. You see, covenanting says, you are the leaders with whom I've covenanted, to whom I submit. You you can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I sought to be obedient with this particular church and these particular leaders and these people. And a covenant makes that possible. But the reciprocal also is made possible. Because see the second half of that passage? Your leaders are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Friends, God, God tells me. He tells me through this scripture that I'm going to have to give an account to him for the souls over which I have been charged to keep watch. That terrifies me. And it humbles me. But it also makes me ask exactly which souls am I going to have to give account for? Because there are a number of people who call themselves followers of Christ living here in Camden. Will I have to give account for all of them? There's a lot more in Knox County and a lot more worldwide. So exactly whose souls will I have to give an account to God for? I'm unable to shepherd every soul in the world or the country or the county or even here in our city. So will I have to give account for every one of those souls? Can can our elders shepherd them all? Friends, it's ridiculous. It's impossible. It's impossible for me to be obedient to this command of God without covenant Because in covenanting, your leadership says to you, I commit before God to shepherd your soul. I willingly take upon myself the burden and responsibility to answer for your soul before God. And do you realize what a tremendous and awesome responsibility and weight that is? Friends, I can't answer for everybody. But let me tell you something, Chestnut Street Baptist. 
I've covenanted to answer for every one of you. And only a covenant, a promise, makes that possible. You see, covenants define not only the relationship itself, but who is in the relationship. Who's part of the relationship? And friends, are you part of the relationship? Are you part of the covenant, a member of this particular local expression of Christ's universal church? I know that some understand church membership to be an old-fashioned, irrelevant, and unnecessary idea. But friends, I would argue that the whole of the New Testament tells us that covenantal church membership is old-fashioned, but it's not out of fashion. I believe the New Testament says it's not irrelevant, but it's irreplaceable. It's not unnecessary, it's indispensable. Because without covenant, we neither know to what we're committing nor to whom we are committing. Covenant forms relationship. And friends, are you part of our covenant? Our relationship? This particular local expression of Christ's universal church. And friends, there's no question. There's no question this idea of church membership, it's countercultural. I mean, it grates against the grain of our consumer culture. It challenges our fear of commitment. It threatens our personal autonomy. It attacks our rugged New England individualism. And it strangles our selfishness. Because, friends, I have to commit to care about and to work for the good of another. Sacrificing my wants, my desires, my time, my talent, and my treasures for that person and those persons with whom I've entered covenant. Church membership is countercultural. It's against the culture of this world. But, friends, I would argue church membership is kingdom cultural. It's the very way of Christ's kingdom. Ours is a kingdom that was formed by covenant, and ours is a local outpost of Christ's kingdom that's also formed by a, a, a covenant. And if you still struggle with and resist the idea of membership and covenant, I would ask you to consider prayerfully why. Is your objection biblical? Is it personal? Is it cultural? Now, and I know there are some who struggle with this idea of covenant for fear of legalism. Is this just this idea of a covenant? Is this just going to become some kind of a laundry list of rules, which then members are going to be bludgeoned into submission with them? And friends, I don't deny. I do not deny that any covenant can be distorted into legalism. I've witnessed it, and I know you've witnessed it also. Horrible, twisting distortions of the marriage covenant. Legalistic, unloving, dominating partners mercilessly subjugating their partners all in the name of love and marriage. Friends, the distortions and abuses of the marriage covenant do not make marriage in and of itself bad and do not make it in and of itself undesirable. The covenant is not to blame for the abuses. Sin is to blame. Sin is to blame. And the same holds true for the church covenant. Legalism is a danger. Whether you have a covenant or don't have a covenant, the danger isn't covenant. The danger is sin. The danger is sin. So don't eschew the good gift of covenant given to us by God because of fear of its abuse. The danger is not covenant itself, but our sinful hearts. And so we need to pray that Christ guards us from sin and from all sin's ravages. And also, as I mentioned briefly last week, there are some here who have worshipped with us for many years, but so far been unable to take the step of membership because of an important and yet ultimately secondary theological issue. 
usually baptism. And friends, from the years that I have walked and worked together with you, I know that you stand with us in these covenant promises, but you have not yet been able to formally join with us in membership. And while the theology of Chestnut Street Baptist Church will not change, I hope that someday soon this situation might change and we can formally recognize you as part of our covenant promises together. Because I know even today that you are with us. And even now, this morning, you join your hearts with us in our covenant renewal. And for those of you who are at home this morning, especially our members who are watching us on YouTube, I've had people ask me and they say, if our covenant's like a wedding covenant, how can you marry two people that are not together in the same physical space? We're not there with you this morning. How are we part of this? And yes, friends, I know this time is strange and we are estranged for this moment, but it will not always be this way. Praise God, it will not always be this way. And so although right now we reaffirm our covenant from afar one day soon, I hope that we can do it when we are near one another. The elders and I plan to make smaller covenant renewals and reminders a regular and a usual part of our worship together. In other words, our intention is not that today be a one-time thing, but the first of many things. So even if you are not physically here with us today, we know that today you join with us in heart. And we believe that one day soon we will be able to join with you physically to remember, to recommit, and to renew covenant together. And so Chestnut Street Baptist Church family, with all of this, as our preamble this morning, what have we gathered here to do today? We've gathered here today to worship the Lord. We confessed this morning in song what it is that we believe. We've offered prayers and petitions to the Lord, God our Father. We've heard the Lord speak to us from His Holy Word. And now, we've come to remember, to recommit, and to renew our covenant together. And because we've gathered this morning not just as the general, universal people of God, we've gathered this morning as the particular and local expression of Christ's church, covenanted together to be Chestnut Street Baptist Church, established in 1808, faithfully sustained by Jesus Christ for over 200 years, and standing faithfully for and with Christ until He returns to take us home. So now, we've come to the point in the service when we will remember, we will recommit, and we renew covenant together. In just a moment, church family, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we'll read the covenant together, but as a responsive reading. The words will appear on the screen, and I'll ask you to join with me when it says people. And when it says um, people, again, prayerfully and solemnly join, and thoughtfully in these promises we make. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning and you've not yet joined us in covenant, I invite you to stand also, to stand and to hear and to witness as we today remember and recommit to the promises with one another. And I invite you as you listen to us and hear us to prayerfully invite the Lord to speak to you through what you see and through what you hear. And friends, with all of that said and all that preamble offered, I invite you now to stand with me.
having been led by the Spirit of God to profess our faith in Jesus Christ, and having been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we do now solemnly and joyfully affirm our covenant with God and one another, desiring to be part of a disciple-making movement here in the mid-coast of Maine that touches and transforms lives, families, and communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves to the making of disciples who are ever-growing in their identity in Christ, their involvement in God's mission of reconciliation, and their investment in His church. I pledge myself to growing my identity in Christ. Friends, we do so by following Christ in daily obedience, by submitting all desires, emotions, ideas, attitudes, choices, and actions to the ultimate authority of God's Word and the control of the Holy Spirit. By abiding regularly and intentionally in God's Word and prayer individually in my family and as a church community. And disciple-making, encouraging others to follow Christ by my witness before a watching world and my intentional investment in the spiritual progress of others. I pledge myself to expanding my involvement in God's ongoing mission of reconciliation. We do so by going as Christ's ambassadors. I will intentionally seek opportunities for God to make His gospel appeal through me. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Advancing kingdom influence for Jesus as Lord, not only of the church, but Lord of all life. As such, I will work to demonstrate the goodness and the justice and the reconciliation of Christ's coming kingdom, socially, politically, economically, relationally, and in all of life. Partnering in prayer, finance, and cooperation with missionaries around the world and gospel-centered churches locally, I will labor for the unity of Christians and the glory of Christ. I pledge myself to deepening my investment in this church. We will do so by uniting the church by my prayer, attitude, and action, living out together the one another commands, honoring others above myself, esteeming, loving, and praying for the pastor and elders, submitting to them in all spiritual exercises of their official authority, bearing with one another in love, always speaking the truth in such a way that builds up or imparts grace, and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave me. Sacrificing generously, regularly, and intentionally of my finances to the ministry of the church and the mission of Christ. And engaging actively and regularly in the life of the congregation by attendance at worship gatherings, participation in the Lord's Supper, involvement in business meetings, investment in church ministries, practice of hospitality, and sacrificial service to one another and our shared mission. Friends, let's pray. Eternal God, you've heard our prayer. You've heard our promises. And without your grace, no promise is sure. Strengthen us by your Spirit that we may fulfill the promises that we have made. Keep us faithful to one another and to you. Guide us by your Spirit and your Word to follow and to serve you all of our days. Amen.